I just want to get right into his word here. I want you to turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 25. And now I have referenced this chapter uh, for the last few weeks. And I wasn't sure if I was going to go back into it. I actually had a second half to last week's sermon already prepared. And then I spoke to Pastor Benjamin, and he said, it's a time where you must have oil in your lamp. And I knew again, not only that we were on the right page, but that I needed to bring it again, bring some more fullness to it. So I want you to look with me, Matthew chapter 25. And it says in verse 1, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. Everybody say extra oil or say more than enough, more than they thought they would need, right? And when, verse 5, the bridegroom was delayed, I want us to read this out loud. I've preached this line before. I think that this is missed sometimes in this sermon. Many times when we read Matthew 25, we just picture the five foolish and the five wise, the five, are, five wise are ready, and they're sharp, and they're looking, and I believe they were, but it says this. Let's just read this out loud. They all, I want you to say that again, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. All ten of them fell asleep. What is that picture? What's it telling us? That means that even if you are sharp and even if you're looking for Christ, that even to the wise, he comes when you don't expect him. That's what the Bible tells us over and over again, doesn't it? It says that he will come like a thief in the night. That even we who are looking and are expecting are going to be surprised. Everybody say, even we're going to be surprised. But the Bible says when the surprise came, There were those that were awakened suddenly and were ready. When he comes, we may be surprised at the timing, but we are not surprised of his coming. But the Bible says, at midnight, everybody say at midnight, they were roused by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. And all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Again, all. They all fell asleep. They all got up to make preparations. But the five foolish ones asked, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough For all of us, go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. 
And we know what the marriage feast is. Jesus has referred to this more than once, right? This is, and we know who the brides are, right? That is us. We know who the groom is. That is Jesus. So Jesus is taking his church into eternity. And the Bible says, Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. What a powerful chunk of scripture this is, just reading it without any adding to it or preaching at all here. Just reading this chunk of scripture is so powerful. And I believe that we're in an hour. I don't know if the Lord is coming back today or tomorrow. We all should be hoping and looking, yes, that he is. But one thing I've said many times before, and I'll say it again today, is this. I am a day older today than I was yesterday. Whether he comes back tomorrow or not, tomorrow I will be a day closer to him. Amen. Yes, that's something to be excited about. Because we're ready. Because we're ready. But many are not ready. Many think they're ready. That's really the parable here. If you really look... And in fact, if you really study Matthew 25 outside of the rest of scriptures, just by itself, it's talking about being ready, right? Then it talks about doing with what he has given you, right? He's given talents. And then finally, he's talking about the sheep and the goats. So really, when you look at Matthew 25, what he's talking about is a person that was focused on the Lord and the works of the Lord. When we do that, when we separate it and we just see, okay, this is a complete picture of what he's looking for, readiness for his coming, doing with what he's given us, and caring for those around us. And there's a separation for all of them. He brings a conclusion and a separation. You are not going in, and you are, in all three of the parables in Matthew 25. What we see here in this first parable of Matthew 25, though, is a false readiness, or as I've been preaching for weeks about a careless readiness. Everybody say a careless readiness. Anybody ever think you're ready, but you're really not ready? Dawn lives in a house of that. She accuses us all the time of not really being ready. When she says, I want to leave by 10, it doesn't mean walking outside at 10. That means leaving at 10. That's why she said 10. It means we walk outside at 9.55, so we pull out at 10. Elijah, sorry, bud, he always says, I'm ready. I just need to brush my teeth. <laughs> then that's not ready, is it? Then that's not ready. The Lord is looking for a people. I love that Jesus said these things 2,000 years ago. Aren't you thankful 
that the Lord loves us so much that he told us in advance what he's looking for? You know, we have all these books about what is my calling and what is God's plan for my life and all these things, which are not, I'm not saying those things are bad. But sometimes we skip over the basics trying to find this elaborate call. When Jesus has told us so many times, really from Genesis to Revelation, but even if you wanted to draw a line from the New Testament on and say that's Old Covenant, this is New Covenant, even if you wanted to do that, and I don't agree with that, he tells us, over and over and over again, exactly what he's looking for from our lives, what they're supposed to be like, what they're supposed to look like, what we're supposed to do, etc. Dan, right, if you just read the scriptures, is there enough instruction in there to know what God's looking for? What we find is, and we've said this before, sometimes when you're arguing with somebody who either kind of has a partial knowledge or no knowledge, is that they think they know. What you find is that they just haven't read their scriptures. Right? They have to go find the Bible and brush off the dust first before they can have their rebuttal. That's if they can find the Bible in their house. And yet, the Lord told us 2,000 years ago exactly that. 2,000 years ago, he warned us that there would come a time in history, and really you could apply it to every single life that's ever lived, because we can all uh, be in a place of laziness towards the things of God and towards seeking Him and knowing Him. And we could look at that in a harsh way, we could look at that in a judgmental, heavy way, or we could look at this as a life way, as, an, as a joy, as a peace, that my Lord loves me so much that he's told me in advance that I need to be ready, that I need to be sharp, that I need to be vigilant. I've said many times, and I just referred to this in the last couple of weeks, that a current, like in a river or in a stream, is a power of its own. And if you don't put your power against it, its power will overpower you right? If you don't put your power against the power of the current, its power will overpower you. If you don't put the power of the Word of God up against the powers of this world, its power will overpower you. The devil and his system, this world system, is not just a strong current, but it is a life-taking current, right? There are streams that are so dangerous that only the best of the best even dare to train in them or swim in them, right? People have incredible training to go into some of these life-saving situations. The power of this world without Christ is death. That's it. There is no in-between, and I just... I didn't plan on that, but the Lord kind of just dropped it in my spirit during prayer there as we were transitioning from worship to the sermon, that there is no gray, and that there's a lot that are living in gray, and that's what this story is about. It's about a gray area. This is not about the world and the church. This is about the church and the church. It's about those who think they know Christ and those who truly know him. 
And as I was seeking the Lord, I said, Lord, what do you want me to say? Today I have this sermon, and I have all these things, and I have pages. I have like seven to eight pages here of notes, but Lord, what do you want to say? And I feel like the Lord had one simple thought for us, which is, I want you to know me in a greater way. We need to know him. Because that's what he said. He said, the way to go in and the door that blocks you out is do you know me or don't you? But apparently, there is a group of people, and it seems like if I just look at the story for, it, for what it says, you know, the Lord d- includes details and removes details from the story for a reason. You ever read some of these Bible stories and you're like, why are you telling me about the left-handed man? Oh, that's right, because that's going to come in in the story. That's going to be an important part of the story because they would check the right-hand man. The left-hand man was uncommon. Remember, he snuck in and used that left hand, right? He was able to hide his sword. So the Bible has details for a reason, and the Bible says there was 10, and it says there was five and five. Could have said, you know, one was foolish. Could have said two were foolish. Apparently, those that think they're ready and those that are ready are 50-50. 50% of those who thought they were ready decided, I don't have much time left. Let me quickly do what I need to do right now, just very quickly. And you know what that looks like? You ever been to uh, a party that someone put together five minutes before you got there? Who can pick it up? <laughs> Anybody have trouble picking it up? Right? The Lord, what he's showing us is that there is a heart that is about his business, it's about him, that wants to know him, and there is a heart that likes the things of God, likes the benefits of being around God. See, lots of people like being around Jesus. Did you ever follow that story? Really, if you just look at the Gospels as a story. You know, there's like, there's nuggets of life and truth in them, and there's parables, but also it's a big story, isn't it, as well? We have him born, and he's raised, and he's this 12-year-old boy, and he's raised by You know, he's got brothers and sisters, and he's going from city to city and ends up on a cross, right? And if you look at the story, what you see is people want to be around him. There are crowds around him all the time, and they want to be around him. But if you look closely, what you also find is that very few follow him. Lots of people like being around the things of Jesus because they sound good. They're encouraging, right? There are, do you know that there are churches... uh, We have them here in the U.S. as well, but Australia really has modeled this. Australia liked Hillsong Church, so they created a Hillsong Church copy, but without God. And lots of people, this is like, it's a mega church. They like the idea of the music and the excitement and the lights and like a motivational speaker, so they just took God out of it and created their own church. If we have not come into a time where there is a left and a right, and I'm not saying that is like Democrat, Republican, I mean like a right side and a wrong side, if we have not entered that time, I don't know when we're going to. There is a black and white more and more. Are you noticing that? 
Like the black is getting blacker, right? I mean, it's just getting darker. I just can't even see. It's so dark over there. And they're actually exposed. They're showing their cards more and more. I think the Lord's allowing them to show their cards of just how evil their intentions are. And as I prayed there, that also shows it's going to reveal how bright our light is. And even a little light, even just a little bit of light, someone who just knows the Lord, maybe they don't know him for that long yet, but they still know him. You're going to see them. You're going to notice. What is the oil? As I've been preaching for the last month on this this idea that God has given us, firstly, was inspired because I read about how Paul said, you know, God had compassion on me, so I need to have compassion. And then I began to just look through the scriptures, and the Lord each week had me preach on how we have a testimony. We've gone through something that is personal. Everybody say, my testimony is personal. It was mine, right? It was for me. And yet, that's what we... That's what we're telling. It's a testimony, right? That's what I'm telling. That's what I'm testifying about. It's my testimony, right? It came, right? It's, it came from your test, right? Turned into a testimony. So you have strength. There is a person. There's a greater relationship with you, but it is for someone else. Simultaneously, you are closer to the Lord, and you are grounded and built on a rock, but now you've become a lighthouse, Right? You're the lighthouse, you're the light, you're the salt. God does something in us, and then we do something for others around us because of what he's done in us. And so what I began to just, uh, as we've been preaching on this, begin to just seek the Lord. Lord, help me to bring this together. And I feel like I, maybe this has been missed. The oil is this. The oil is the things we've gone through. The injustices, the hard times, and dealing with the impulses and the sins within us. But, everybody say but. Right? Something's done to you. Something's going on inside you. There's jealousies. There's envies. There's, there's always a choice inside you to be flesh or to be spirit. All right? Whether it's your own issue or something's being done to you, you are making choices to do it your way or do it God's way. And what happens is something supernatural. When I trust God and his word instead of self, this is for any circumstance, whether this is like, you know, crazy, like Joseph's stuff, you know, complete and total injustice, or just minor jealousies and envies and bitterness inside our heart. It doesn't matter Every single time that we decide to do it God's way, everybody say, I want to do it God's way. What ends up happening is, and we handle the situation properly, is that flesh and self is crushed. Everybody say, my flesh is crushed. See, because the spirit man inside you is warring with your flesh, and when my flesh wins, what do I shine like? I shine like flesh, which is who? I mean, Jesus, there's no confusion. Jesus said it. He said, you're a liar because your father, the devil's a liar. There's no confusion. It's really, the Bible's not complicated. When we act in our flesh, we are acting like the devil. Plain and simple. There is no gray. Grace 
which is a funny coincidence that it caused the word gray within the, phonetically, or the way we say it, right? Grace. Just a coincidence. But I think that that's the only thing that sits between the black and the white. That's the thing that carries us when we're warring and the Lord's got grace in there because he's trying to get us from darkness into light. All right, so that's the only gray. But there is no gray to God. You look at God, you read the Old Testament, and you see there is zero gray because there was no grace. Grace is the only bridge and is not meant for us to stay there and to be in this constant warring our whole life. But it is meant to get us out of darkness and into light without dying on the way. (laughs) Right? They touched the Lord's presence and they died. Now today, we can go outside and we can curse God. And I don't see lightning striking every single person that does it. Thank God that there is grace, and they eat those words. They, they repent of those words. A time comes where they drop to their knees and they say, Lord, forgive me that I was so dark and that I said those things and I pointed my finger up at heaven and so on. But without grace, there is only black and white. I want you to say that out loud. Without grace, there is only black and white. So the Spirit of God, that's grace working in us, is letting this war happen within us, but what happens is when I decide to do it God's way, which is going to be proactive, this is a focused work because it's very easy to be flesh. The impulse, listen, I've said before, you don't need to teach a child to be selfish. I don't know how, except when I read my word, I know how, but it doesn't make sense when I look at it, how you could be selfish. How do they know mine? It's their first word. It's not dada. It's not mama. It's mine. It's the first thing they learn. Mine. Right? They learn how to be selfish, jealous, right? Envious as a child, a little baby. Why do they get that and I don't? It's not fair. These are all things that are not taught to them. So that is the flesh, and that is what you're born with. Now, Jesus teaches us to endure the unfairness, to deal with it, not just to suck it up. That's not the right way, but to give it to the Lord and say, Lord, I want it your way instead of my way. I heard a really interesting story yesterday. Phil Robertson, you know Phil Robertson? He's the patriarch of the Duck Dynasty, right? He's the the 70-something-year-old father of all the the guys with the beards. And uh, he's written all kinds of books. He's gone all over the country. He's done many things for the Lord. People probably just look at him and think he's just a duck guy, but he does a lot of cool things for God, goes into prisons, goes into uh, drug rehabs, because that's kind of what he went through as a young man. And he said he was out on his river where he fishes, and he was doing it actually for a living. And what happened is, is these guys would steal his fish. Guys were coming and stealing his fish. So one day he came upon them, and he came upon them stealing his fish. And so he raced towards them. He used to actually carry a shotgun, and he said, the next time you steal my fish, I'm going to kill you. But then he got saved, and he's reading the scriptures, how the Lord said, if they take this, give them that. So he races towards them, stealing his fish, and they throw everything back in. And when he gets them, he goes, why'd you throw it back? 
They're like, oh, we're, we're, you know, we're, we don't want any trouble. And he's like, why don't we pull them back up? Because they were all, they were in cages. He had that style of fishing. They go into these nets and they get caught down there. So they pull them back up. He's like, I'll tell you what, you don't need to steal from me. If you want my fish, you can have my fish. He said, word got around town. You know that old, that, that guy that he's, he's not old guy, but you know that guy who's running around the river catching fish? He said, if you need fish, just ask him. He'll give you his fish. And you know what happened, he said? People stopped stealing from him. He didn't have to tell them, don't steal from me. They just didn't want to steal from him anymore. Isn't it amazing? The point is that we do things God's way. But see, the injustice is, wait a second, we feel violated. Those are, that's, and he, that's actually how he was supporting his young family. When he came out of the world and came to the Lord, he's like, it's going to be a simple life. But we just need to get away from this life. We're going to go here, and I'm going to seek God, not knowing he'd be like a mega gazillionaire one day. <laughs> he had no intention of that. He was making, he said, he got so excited when they first sold, he sold $10,000 in ducks, duck calls, and he told his wife, we've made it. We've hit the big time. 2014, they sold, he had to come down and sign his one millionth duck call that had sold in one year. But his humble beginnings were, Lord, I'm going to truly try to do it your way instead of my way. And you know what happens? Something precious. This is it. This is this oil. Something precious, something of value begins to be produced, and it's called the oil. It is something that is only made by the Holy Spirit. You can't do that on your own. And sometimes people say, well, it's just in your prayer closet, and it's just something that you're doing in prayer and in the Word. I'm not going to take any of that away because that's true, but you have to then, what happens is people stay there and they, they're like, where's my oil? Because they come out of the prayer closet and then they don't live in the way that the Holy Spirit was dealing with them in that time. So the oil is not really made in the prayer closet. That's the beginning. That's where he got before the Lord and he's reading it and the Holy Spirit's dealing with him and then he applied it in his life and then something was produced and oil came out of that time and that oil fuels our lamp and apparently the bible tells us that we should have extra oil on hand what is he trying to tell us saying i don't want you to do good works just to get by and i felt like the lord gave me this little vision of and I bring up the stop signs so often because I think it's such an easy, simple, childlike picture of law versus life, right? We could look at the word as law, or we could look at it as life. That's right. That's what they did. It's the word of life, but we call it in the Old Testament without Christ, without the blood, the law. And the Lord, I just saw this quick little vision. I saw two cars pull up to a stop sign. One pulled up and it went. Next one pulled up and it went. And I just feel like the Lord said to me in my spirit, what's the difference? And I just heard in my spirit their intentions. It can look exactly the same on the outside. One person's intentions is, this is a bother, I've got places to be, this is annoying, and then they go. It looks the same as they stop at the stop sign because they have to. The second person says, this isn't just for my good. But if I rush and I go through this stop sign, I'm protecting the person who doesn't have a stop sign going that way. 
And I just saw from the Lord that there is this thing within us of intention of the heart and not just the actions. Someone can do good works and really have evil within their heart, right? They might be doing it because they feel compelled. That's what they have to do. This is what we do to get ahead even. And then there is the one that does it that looks the same, but is doing it out of a heart that wants to please the Lord and do what's right and live by his word. And what you don't realize is behind the scenes that they're crushing flesh and crushing self, and they're dealing with jealousies and bitterness and envies and rage and all these other things inside them. And something begins to happen. There's an oil that is stored up, and the oil, as I've been preaching, is not just so you have it, but is for what? It was for a lamp. It's to be a light. The only way to truly be a light, just as Phil Robertson was, is to let God produce the oil inside you. You cannot have a false light. It does not work. Everybody can sniff out false humility, and everybody can sniff out when someone is acting like they're a good person, but they're really not. Can't we? And then when you really are, they kind of look at you funny. I deal with this as a contractor, as being like a Christian contractor in the world of like evil. Like where, you know, that's like notoriously the world where the contractor's lying to you. That's just what they expect. And sometimes I vent to the customer. Sometimes I feel like I have some freedom I can. I don't always do it. But tell you know what's annoying? That you think I'm lying just by pulling up here. No, sometimes I tell them if I feel like I can. Maybe I wait till I get the job first. You assume that I'm lying to you, but I actually have your best intentions in mind. I'm not going to sell you something you don't need, and I'm not going to tell you to do something you don't need to do. If you want to do more than that, that's up to you. But I'm going to tell you what you should do and shouldn't do, and you don't believe me. I had this happen with a guy. I rate. This guy was so mad. I was actually telling him, okay, I'll come take a look, and he doesn't even want to listen to me, just yelling over me. What a coincidence. It turned out to not be my fault when I got there. We need to do it God's way, and the world will notice when it's God's way versus just the intent, the, I'm sorry, doing it with uh, our own impulses, our own way, and trying to look like we're doing it God's way. So there's two things happening. One is the world is not getting God's light, and that's the whole point of us still on the earth. That's why we're still here, is to be his ambassadors, to be his light. We are not our own. I've preached this now many times. I've said this over and over again. I just said it last week, that we became the temple. And it says, clear as day, you are not your own. We say it, but then we go and live our own lives, right? We say, I'm the Lord's, but then... When we act like flesh, we're actually telling a different story. I want to just make some points because I don't want to uh, drag on here. I want to just say some things to bring this together. I have a few things here. Number one, 
You are holy. Everybody say, I'm holy. That means that we are set apart. Literally, that's all it means. We think of holiness as like being really quiet, right? We think of holiness as like smoke and like candles, right? And pews that creak. Right? We get images. We can't help it. But we think of holiness as like, you know, even though we don't want the kids running in here, that's not being holy. The kid's not running. Holiness is being set apart. That's all it is. It literally means that there is the world. And he said what is holy is his. It's the Lord's. We've been made holy. We are not of the world anymore. We are in the world. We are not of the world. We are in the Lord, which means we are holy, which means now that we are set apart. We should be different. We should sound different. We should act different. We should even think different, and that's the intentions of the heart. Second point, just bringing this all together, this whole series here, is that God wants to use you. Everybody say, God wants to use me. We've been given testimonies spiritual gifts, and blessings. And those are three of their own individual things, right? The gift is without repentance, the Bible says. We are all born with gifts, whether you use them for the Lord or you use them for self, right? That's very common. We know that. A testimony, in contrast, is not a gift, although it can be like a gift, is something that's happened because of what you've gone through and what God has done for you. And then your blessing is separate from your testimony and your gift, although a blessing can be a gift and a blessing can be a testimony, but they are three of their own things. God gives us spiritual gifts, but then he gives us earthly blessings, and that's right within Matthew 25, what we do with them. And these things are given to us by God. Everybody say they are given by God. Even your testimony that you went through. See, there's our selfishness again. Wait a second, I went through it, but God says it's mine. It's your testimony, but it's his. It's really his. It's only your selfishness that wants to say, no, I went through this. I paid a hard price for this. This is my testimony. But it's the Lord actually that did it, isn't it? It's his testimony. They're his gifts, and they're his blessings, which means what? Once I acknowledge that, then he can have whatever is his. And so they are used to bring God glory. Number three, the world is waiting for you. When we use what God has given us for his purposes and his glory, people recognize this and some will want what we have. I wanted to make a point right here. Not everybody is going to acknowledge Christ in you. In fact, most won't. The kids are watching this kind of fun YouTube channel, this guy who's trying to go across the country with one penny, right? And it's kind of this game. You start with a penny, and you try to earn more money and try to do things. It's kind of hard to explain all the details, but work his way up to get a bike, to get a car or whatever, and to get on a plane finally and take a flight. There's all these other fun things in between, but the point is that he has to go around and do tasks. One yesterday the kids were watching was that he said, I'll wash your wheels for a dollar a rim. 
So at $4 a car, lots of them gave him tips that helped him a lot. But he was able to earn some money to have a meal. He can't, he can't eat, and he can't go anywhere without money, and he only has one penny in his pocket. So whatever he earns is what he's going to have. So what I noticed as I was kind of just breezing in and out while they were watching is that he mostly gets no's. It's a world of no's. It's the one yes that that's what he is going to be able to make his money off of. And it's the same exact thing for you with the gospel. You cannot worry. The lo- you have to know this. I'm set apart. I'm of the Lord. I'm light. I'm salt. Most of the world is going to reject you. But don't let that. I just felt like from the Lord to make this point. It might seem like this is a little bit to the side of what this whole sermon's about. And it was important that I noted this. Don't put your light down thinking they don't care about it anyway, because it's not true. Sometimes we push the gospel to the side because we're like, no one really cares anyway. I'm just throwing pearls before swine. And I, believe me, there is a point where it is pearls before swine. But sometimes we think everything is pearls before th- swine. Isn't that true? I'm not going to say anything to anybody anytime because it's just pearls before swine. And it's not true. In fact, I've pointed out before, as soon as you mess up, they point it out, which means they were actually watching all along. They must have been watching pretty sharp because they noticed that it's different than how you normally act. Isn't that interesting? Meaning that you're actually light, even though you don't even realize you're being light all the time. Amen. So, just to reiterate that point, when we use what God has given us for his purposes and his glory, people recognize this, and some will want what we have. Number four, God uses the things we go through to change us. Everybody say, God changes us by the things we go through. That's really the only way he changes us. It's supernatural, but it really is going through a circumstance, period. Who who remembers the movie Evan Almighty? Right? He's got the ark, you know, (laughs) turning into a new Noah again. Well, God says at some point in in the movie, he says, you know, if you pray for, uh, my mind is just kind of everywhere here because I'm trying to close this, but he says, if you pray for patience, right, sorry. I, was, I knew Dawn would know, too. I just, I just asked you immediately. Does God just give you patience, or does God allow a circumstance for you to be patient in? And that's really the truth. Here's a secular movie, but they really did nab the true point. God uses circumstances that we go through some are good, some are bad. He's not testing us in a sadistic way. God does not get pleasure watching you and seeing you squirm. That is not the point. But when you go through a good time, are you going to be thankful and grateful and give? When you go through a hard time, are you going to be cleaving to his garment? Are you going to be in his presence pleading for more of him and for his mercy and his grace and his favor? Repentance, if that's, what that, if that's what needs to happen then. Right, so when we go through circumstances, they are actually, if we will let God do it, changing us. That flesh and spirit are warring, but when we do it his way, we are living by the spirit instead of the flesh, and something happens, we come out on the other side 
changed into his image. You no longer look like you. People look at you and say, my friend said it to me, you used to be cool. Now I was not cool. And I didn't mind because their perception of cool was worldliness. So when they said you used to be cool, I took that as a compliment because I don't want to be cool. I want to be like the Lord. But I think the Lord's pretty cool. Number five, and I'm wrapping up here. When we are changed personally, everybody say, when I'm changed personally, we carry the power to change the circumstances of others. I feel like this is very powerful from the Lord. I could preach a sermon just on this. When we are changed personally, we carry the power to change the circumstances of others. I could go on and on, but just very quickly, Joseph, right? David, Moses, right? Abraham, they dealt with something personal, and it was the uh, springboard for nation-changing stuff, nation-saving stuff. So your personal change is actually necessary because it creates a power to change others. Number six, the world is in darkness. It's been in darkness ever since sin entered the world, and the darkness is getting darker. But right in the midst of darkness, God is doing supernatural things. Who has noticed God do a few things this week? Right in the midst of darkness, right in the midst of darkness, the darkness is getting darker, but right in the midst of darkness, God is doing supernatural things, and in the midst of darkness, God is speaking. I want you to hear that again. God is speaking. God wants to speak to us in the darkness, and we could get into that in the future, but who loves when we read about Samuel? I love it so much. It's been in my spirit for these couple weeks now. If you're doing our Bible reading plan, you read it along with us. It says that the lamp had not yet gone out. Who knows the scripture? He was sleeping in the presence of God. Doesn't even know what he's doing yet. He's just a boy. God hadn't even spoken to him yet. But he's sleeping in the presence of God. And the Bible says the lamp, which is the light of God, that's the symbol of, that was Christ himself. It all points to Christ, points to Christ in us, so on, right? I love the, how it all crisscrosses. I mentioned last week. And in that place, God, in the midst of evil, in fact, Eli was an evil king, and his sons were evil. They were having all this weird stuff going on. They were uh, selfish, jealous, uh, kind of all kinds of lust stuff going on in in that too. And right there in the midst of it, God's voice. The Bible says that the word of the Lord was uncommon or it was rare. In those times, and yet the Lord had something to say to Samuel. Right here in the darkness, God has something to say to you. And the and the final thing is that in that place, on his presence, when we go through things and we then we begin to hear him, begins to speak to us, and he's changing us. And what happens is Samuel came out with a word. Now it was a hard word. Eli says to him, You better not lie to me. He's like, I didn't know. I, I don't want to tell you. And he's like, you better not lie to me. You tell me right now. And he's like, okay, fine. You're going to die and so are your sons. It was a hard word, but nonetheless, it was a word from the Lord. There is a word from God. There is something that God wants us 
to get into his presence, that place where we know him. And even sometimes you're going to, he's going to deal with you in ways you don't want to be dealt with, and you're going to have to say things that you don't want to say. That's the point. But it must be done. There is a place that we can get into in God. There's a place that we must get into in God, where is a knowing. Everybody say it's a knowing. We want to know him. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We just thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, in the same way that you walked with the Father and in unity with the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, in the same way that you submitted to the Word, we submit to the Word. And I thank you, Lord, that even the enemy looks at us like we're just wandering around with no direction. Lord, they looked at you like you were just wandering from this town to that town. But I thank you, Lord Jesus that you were conquering devils and you were setting people free. And there was a cross ahead of you that the, even the devil didn't understand, but there was resurrection after. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that as we are submitted to you, even our lives can sometimes feel like they're just wandering about, but you are changing us. We are affecting people around us. There are devils that are kneeling before us. You don't even know it. There is salt that you are spreading. There is light that you are giving. And I thank you, Lord Jesus. There is resurrection ahead of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you.